0: Today we're talking about hope. And, you know, as we consider hope, I want you guys to look at it in this, this way. In Galatians 4.4, 4, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So in this idea, the fullness of time, and again, as we read uh, this morning in the meditation, you know, the, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans, Israel, have been suffering under merciless governments. They had been oppressed. They had been uh, under a graceless religious system. Uh, and I, again, graceless religious system. And you can see that in that context, how, how much hope would you have? So Israel is ripe now, but I want you to see something. It's ripe because it has no hope in the world. Now, I want to say that again. It's, it's ripe because it has no hope in the world. They can't find any hope in the world. They can't find any hope in a broken religious system. They can't find it in some some like um, savior gonna come who's gonna conquer Rome. Co- Rome was an iron-fisted government. They didn't play any games. They didn't care about your feelings. They didn't care about what you thought justice was. They were gonna crush you. And, and I want you to feel the weight of that because, again, the song we've been singing lately... Um, of uh, the wonder of it all, again, speaking of God coming into the world, the one line I love is, to a broken and weary, weary world, God gave his only son, oh, the wonder of it all. Now, again, in a bro- to a broken and weary world, God sent forth his son, and that's what we're looking at when we celebrate Christmas. Now, these statistics are very troubling, and they can, what, depress us and cause us to be more hopeless, but they shouldn't, because I believe this, you guys, this is a time ripe for Jesus for people's lives. That the neighbor around you, the guy who's suffering, the person who is totally depressed, they are ripe for the message of the gospel. And see we've been deceived and I really I'm distracted because we become hopeless. We become frustrated. We become irritated. And it's like wait a minute, stop. Don't forget your mission, brother. Don't forget your purpose here is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and what? And make what? Disciples. This is our opportunity. And if we were to go back to the 60s, I guarantee you, your grandparents and your parents are feeling the same way about that generation. Go back to the 60s. They were turbulent. Kennedy was killed. The nation was depressed, right? Civil rights was going on. Hippies We're going on, right? It was chaos, and yet, what did God do in that generation? He saved us. And I'm saying right now, we have an opportunity because of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. The hope we have in Jesus Christ, not in a political system that's broken. We all see it. That is not our hope. It's not in world peace. If that's your hope, good luck finding it, right? It just gets worse and worse all the time. But I'm saying right now, we have an opportunity if we get our hearts back on Jesus and allowing Him to be our hope. Peter Creep said this: Our culture has filled our heads, uh, but emptied our hearts; stuffed our wallets, but starved our wonder. It has fed our thirst for facts, but not for meaning or mystery. It produces nice people, not heroes. Is that not true? He said, the men of old who had hope looked to the skies and called them the heavens. Today in a hopeless world, we look to the sky and we call it space. Think about that. I don't know how you could stand under the Milky Way and not be in wonder. It is the most beautiful thing. It makes the Sistine Chapel look like stick figures, right? And we got to get ba- our eyes back on that God. God. You know, it's interesting. Years ago, I was at a conference in Arizona with um, John Piper and Wayne Grudem. And uh, John Piper started his sermon about the majesty of God, the majesty of God, by telling a story about Albert Einstein. He said Albert, a friend of Albert Einstein's came to his house on a Sunday morning. They usually played chess. They played chess together every Sunday. But when he got to Einstein's house, he wasn't there. So he sat on his porch and he waited for him. So Albert Einstein is kind of walking up the street and he goes, hey, Albert, where you been? He goes, I went to church. He goes, you went to church? He goes, yes, I went to church this morning. And he goes, how was it? He goes, their God's too small for me. Their God is the God of sin and disappointment. He goes, I want the God who created the universe. The world needs the God who created the universe. Not some petty God, but a God that fills us with wonder. And I want you to understand something, too. As we look at these statistics of hopelessness, Rick Warren gave a message about dealing with hopelessness. I don't know how many years ago it was. It came up as I was looking. But he says these are 10 triggers, 10 things that cause people to go into depression and hopelessness. Number one, you feel alone and you feel abandoned. You look at life and it seems out of control. You look in the mirror and you feel you have no purpose. Maybe you're suffering loss like many of us did when we came out of COVID. I lost three uncles to COVID. I lost a cousin to cancer all within the last 18 months. And it grieved me deeply. You've done something wrong. You've committed a sin that you feel now has disqualified you and has filled you with hopelessness. You've been deeply wounded by somebody. You're being pulled in the wrong direction. You are hounded by fear and your life looks like defeat. All these things trigger people into a state of hopelessness. So what is our answer? If someone was to come up to you and they're dealing with all these things and they're heavily medicated, or they're drinking too much, or they're eating too much, or they're sleeping too much, or they're binge watching their favorite show on Netflix too much, what would your answer be? Uh, That's part of it, yes. Yes. But I want you to think about this. I want us to remember who the God is that came in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. We got to remember something in our own hearts to have hope, and that is God cares. God cares. God, and when I say that, I mean he has an interest in your life, he has an interest in what you're doing, he has an interest where you're going. God cares. He's not detached, he's not indifferent. He's not obtuse. He is very, very involved in what's going on in the world. And the one, one story is I thought about Jesus coming, and we could, we could see all the ways Jesus came for the marginalized, the overlooked, the broken, the bankrupt. We could see it in the Gospels. But do you know God has always been this way? We look at Jesus like he's some big surprise to us, like, oh, God loves. Oh, my gosh, God is full of grace. God has always been full of grace, You look at the Old Testament and you do a surface reading of it and you come up with this caricature of God that he's wrathful and angry, but really look at that. He tells Abraham, I'm going to give you the promised land, but you know what else he told him? But you got to wait 450 years. Think about that. Why? Because the cup of the Gentiles is not yet full. 450 years. That's the patience of God. And I always say this, what if they repented? I think God would say, hey, Abraham, I got another place for you. 450. That's the patience of God, the grace of God, the love of God. And I want us to find this story. It's in the story of Hagar in Genesis 16. Now we pick it up. Hagar has gotten pregnant. And I want you to remember something. Hagar is a slave girl. Abraham is an 85 year old man. Do you think Hagar would have chosen this for her life? She's a slave and she's a kid. And look what happens. After she got pregnant, she, I, I again. not I'm going to be honest with you. It's Sarah says to Abraham, like, this girl's giving me the stink eye. She's looking down on me. And I'm thinking, is she though, Sarah? Are you just projecting that on her? Think about it. Hagar has no rights. She has no position. She has no privilege. She has nothing. She's a slave. And she's still, she, now she's a pregnant slave with her boss's kid. And, and remember who, whose idea was this? Sarah's in the first place, right? She brought it on herself. And what happens? So Sarah gets mad, and she tells Abraham, I want, I want to get rid of this girl. And what does Abraham do? He's so wise, right? He's like, I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight, right? He says, but it says there in chapter 16 of Genesis, verse 6, And Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. So Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So, I mean, it was so bad. Again, it's not like she can go to her back to her parents' house. It's not like she can go back to a city that she was from. She had nothing. So, it was so bad for, for poor Hagar, so bad for her, she just runs for it into the desert. How bad does it have to be? Now, think about that. And look, what, I love this. It says, the angel of the Lord found her. Notice that the angel of the Lord found her. By a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Now, here's the thing I want you to remember again: she was a slave. Do you think that she had her? Um, do you think that her, she had ambition for her life? Do you think her ambition for her life was to have a baby with an 85 year old man? Absolutely not. Do you think she had dreams and aspirations before she became a slave? Absolutely, she did. And they're all dashed now. And she's here and now. She's getting mistreated. And I want you to think about her in the desert, her having to run for it. How do you think Hagar feels? Put yourself in her situation. How do you think Hagar feels? Do you think she feels rejected? Do you, feel, do you think she feels that no one cares? Do you think she's broken? Do you think perhaps she's a little bit hopeless? I want you to see this. I, I feel bad. I'm not really honest with you. I was harsh on Hagar. But I started really thinking about her story, going, I feel so bad for her. be put in that situation and to get out of Dodge because it was so bad and so there she is now we find her in the desert by some well or some spring and she's just sitting there and you can see I mean she's probably crying she's probably frustrated right hopeless and yet God finds her there I love that I don't care what position you're in or what you're feeling right now, what you're going through. I want you to be convinced of this one thing. God's going to find you. God cares. He's looking. He sees. And look what happens next. Verse 8. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai. Other translations. This is straight up. Slave of Sarai. Where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my my mistress The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Many people that suffer from depression, chronic depression, they will stay in bed because they know what they should be doing, but they just don't know how to get there. They have no direction, they have no purpose. I want you to see, I believe this. Hagar now finds herself, if you were to ask her, Hey, Hagar, what are you going to do tomorrow? What do you think she would have said? Uh, I don't know. Hey, hey, how are you feeling right now? I'm, I'm really bummed out. I'm, I don't know what to do with my life. And I want you to see, and don't overlook this, when God speaks to her, I want you to see He does two things to her. He gives her direction, and He gives her purpose. And the third thing is, He gives her a promise. I want you to understand something. We all need promises. Promises give us hope. Promises give us hope. But we also need direction, and we also need purpose. And God comes to her, and I want you to see it again. What he says to her, return to your mistress. There's direction. There's direction. Go back. You got to go back. He gives her this direction. Because he's he's still like, should I go to Egypt? Where should I go? You can see her. Her compass is going nuts. And he goes, no, no, you're going to go back. You're going to go back he gives her direction and then he gives her purpose there. You're going to back and serve. Sound familiar? You want purpose, you want direction? Serve somebody. Serve somebody. Don't wait to be served. As a believer in Christ, we are called to serve. That is our motto here, right? Serve. Quit stand- I too many people, too many people, and especially our young people today. They are stuck. They're stuck. They are stuck. They don't have direction. They don't have purpose. They are high on anxiety and they are trapped in fear. And the answer I'm telling you is, number one, the direction is back to God, brother. Get back to Jesus Christ. Look to the cross. Repent of your sins. Receive the Lord. But for the believer, again, it's back to Jesus. Back to serving Him because that is your direction and that is your purpose. Because in that, we have a promise. If we endure... If we endure, we just got done with revelation to every church. If you endure, if you keep on persevering, there's a reward waiting for you. And let me ask you guys something. What's the world's promise to you? What is it? Death Death and taxes. Yes. There are three things we cannot avoid in life. Three things. One of them is pain. One of them is pain. The other one is uncertainty. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't. You know, the third one is work. Work. I don't care where you're in the world. Those are three conditions every human being faces every day. But do they have a promise? Because as believers, we do. We do have a promise. We do have direction, and we do have purpose. He gives her a promise. He gives her something to hope in. You are going to have a child, and I'm going to bless his socks off. Any mom would love to hear that, right? Right? Any mother, you're going to take care of my boy? You're going to take care of my boy? Oh, what more can I ask for? Because most mothers, 98% of them are totally sacrificial. They would sacrifice everything for their kid a second. And most dads are too. But I want you to see this. So there she is in her hopelessness, and God comes. And he goes, I'm going to give you direction. I'm going to give you purpose, and I'm going to give you a promise. And she responds. She responds, look what happens next. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks at, after me. Therefore, the well is called Ber-Lahi-Rohai. It, it lies between Keredish and, and, and Bered. Now, here's the thing I want you to see. The literal translation is that of, you are a God of seeing. You know what the literal translation is? I love this, man. You love it. The literal translation is you are a god who sees me. I want you to think about it. she's a slave prior most of her life if not all of her life. She is there just to serve. She has no rights. She has no person. She's just part of the household. She's a piece of property literally. Do you think she ever felt seen? Think about it. I want you to understand something. We all need to be seen. It's, they do clinical studies on this stuff. The power of being seen is so needed. And I want you to think about this. We're coming out of COVID and you're looking at a screen. Are you being seen? Are our kids being seen at home while they look at a screen? Right? I remember talking to one of the teachers. Uh, she taught here at Fallbrook High School. She said that most days she would go, like, get online to go to her class, which is odd, in, in the, the meta world, right? And she would look on her screen and all the screens would pop up. She said 90% of the kids wouldn't even show up. Why? They're not being seen. They're not being heard. They're not part of this. I think, I'll be honest with you guys. You know my favorite time was going to church as a kid? My favorite time was greeting. I loved it. I'd be like so excited. Okay, here it comes. Here it comes. Hi, nice to meet you. Hey, nice to meet you. Hey, you know, you see your friend from school. Hey, nice. Hey, you know, what happens? You're being seen. You could be alone all week at home, but you come to church, you're going to be seen. You're going to be valued. You're going to be heard. You're going to be loved. We need it. And I'll be honest with you guys. We talk about, you know, our our live thing, and people do need it. People were sick. I hate it. That's not church. It's not. Watching TV not church, this is church. this is church, us worshiping God together. that's church, and we need it more than you even can comprehend, because we've been so we've been so made to be numb, we've been so forgotten, and we believe this is normal, it's not normal. it's not. Hagar needed to be seen, and she meets with God, God gives himself, and she looks and she goes away she's like. He's the God who sees me. He sees me. She's like on the jumbotron at the game, right? The camera goes to her at, I'll say, the Padre game. The camera you know, goes to the Padre game. And you see what happens when people they're like this, and they're eating their hot dog, and they're talking, and then they'll go, <laughs> they go crazy. I've always said this to myself. When that error comes to me, I'm going to show no emotion. Like, leave me alone. Go to the next person, right? Right? But you see this all the time. People get on the jumbotron. They go nuts. Why? They're being seen. They're being seen by 50,000 people. Why you'd want that, I have no idea, right? But they get so fired up, so fired up. He is the God who sees me, and I love this, man. It's usually when I'm at my, when I'm struggling my most, it's usually when I feel when that, that, that ledge of hopelessness I'm ready to jump off of, that God comes and he's like, I see you. Don't forget that. I see you. I see you. And I believe this. For the first time, Hagar is seen. And she felt the power of it. And I'm telling you right now, the world, your neighbor needs to be seen. There's somebody in your neighborhood, I guarantee you, who stays at home most of the time and watches TV. In their house, from the bedroom to the kitchen to the living room, and back again. Maybe goes outside the backyard. Maybe you see them when they come to get the post. Maybe. But man, do you know what the power would be if you were? I know I keep harping this cookie thing because I've seen the power of it. Because number one, you had to see them to make them cookies. And you know where they live. And then you go, and I have an aunt, you guys. She is 93. I was talking to Ed about her this morning. She's a widow. She's been a widow for almost 30 years. Her daughter lives about 40, half hour, 40 minutes away. But every Christmas, I make it a point, the first stop we go to is her house. I want her to know I see you and I love you and she doesn't have a big family she loves it she's oh come on in I'll make you breakfast no no breakfast we gotta go to my mom's house for breakfast but we just wanted to come and tell you we love you Hagar was seen because God is a God who sees he's a God who cares and he's a God who hears he is a God who hears later on in chapter 26 another terrible thing happens to Hagar this time her and Ishmael get kicked out. And Abraham, I don't know about this guy, man. He gives him like a, a cantina, a big cantina. He's like, all right, you got to go. And they get out there and they're done with their, their, their you know, goat skin full of water. Ishmael is dying. He's about 13 years old. Hagar puts him under a bush. She doesn't want to see him die. She goes, and you know what the Bible says? I love it. It says, God heard his cry. And then God says, hey, there's a well. There's a spring right over here. Fill it up. Give it to your son. It's going to be okay. But I want you to see the commonality of what's going on. It's usually when things are at their worst. And I'll say this. That we're able to hear God say, hey, I got an answer. Are you ready for it now? Are you ready for my answer now? Because you were distracted before. Now, can you hear me now? Like C.S. Lewis says, He, what, whispers to us on our success, and he screams at us in our distress. And I think the reason why it sounds like screaming is because for the first time, our ear is open to hearing, and now we hear loud and clear because we're desperate. The world, brothers and sisters, is desperate. They're desperate. Do you hear them? Do you hear the world screaming? It is chaos out there, man. It is hopelessness out there. It is darkness out there. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And God sent his light into the world. They say they did studies with kids. Well, they did some studies with kids, but they did another one with adults. Three groups of people. And they came into a classroom at three separate times. The first group does the task. It's on a piece of paper. They come to the instructor. The instructor looks at them and says, thank you for handing in your paper, grades it, and then files it. And they leave one by one. The next group, they do the same task. They take the file or the paper from them and they just file it. No acknowledgement of the person at all. Just, not even a nod, they say. Just, okay, go. File it. The third group is the worst one. They come and after they finish their task. They give it to the instructor. The instructor doesn't even look at them. Grabs the paper and puts it in a shredder. And then they leave. Now, I can ask you guys the question, who do you think had the worst response? You would say, group three. You know there's no difference between group two or three? Because neither of them was acknowledged. Didn't matter if it was shredded or not. The fact that they took the paper and filed it without acknowledgement, was the exact same thing as taking the paper and shredding it. Neither group was seen. And when we are seen, the study says this, it makes us come alive, it validates us, it infuses us with energy, it motivates us to engage, to respond, and to contribute. Do you see that? They're just studies. But to be seen, all of a sudden it gives us hope, it infuses us, it gives us energy. And I look at Hagar, she's like, I can go back. I'll go back and I'll serve her. I'll go back and I'll hold on to this promise. Why? God sees me. That's why I could do this. God sees me. God cares about me. God hears me. So we have a God who cares, a God who sees, and a God who hears. But you know what else we have, guys, as believers in Christ? We have God with us. God is with us. Matthew one twenty three. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God doesn't do anything from afar. He does it up close and personal. Up close and personal. God became man. And you know what his experience was? Isaiah tells us. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as, uh, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So do you think God knows how you're feeling? Do you think God knows how it feels to be not seen? He definitely knows how it feels not to be heard. And yet he comes to a broken and weary world, and he says, I'm here to heal you. But they're going to reject you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to find you. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hunt you down. I'm going to forgive you. But, I mean, think about the woman caught in adultery. You think she felt kind of bad and embarrassed and humiliated and that it was brought on herself, and these guys come and they want to execute her, and he says, man, hey, where are your accusers? There are none. Neither do I accuse you. Sin no more. Be free. You don't have to live this way anymore. I'm setting you free. I want us to understand something. Jesus said. gave us a few promises Number one, John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, your hearts, uh, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why? He is with you. He gives you his peace. Do you guys remember, I don't know, I had, when I was with my dad, I, I was scared of nothing. Did you guys ever have that experience as a little kid? I love my dad. I worshiped my dad. And again, he was a prize fighter. He wouldn't back down from anybody. And if his family was threatened, it's on. (laughs) I was 10 years old. This is one of my my fondest memories. It kind of tells you how twisted I am in a way, but how much I admired my dad. We're leaving Dodger Stadium. It's my mom and my dad and my uh, three siblings. I'm the youngest. We're in line. You know, 48,000 people, one car at a time. You know how they do that? Your turn, my turn. Well, a car tried to cut us off. And my dad pulled forward, like, no, it's not your turn. These four guys get out of the car, start cussing out my dad. Now, most men that are sane would back up and say, hey, I don't want any problems, go ahead. Not my dad. My dad puts it in park. He gets out of the car, goes to the trunk, pulls out a crowbar, and he says, come on. And I'm in the backseat going, yeah, dad, yeah. My mom's crying. My sisters are crying. He tells, my, he tells my brother, who's 14, Fernie, get out of the car. Like, you're, you're doing this with me. I'm like, I want to get out, Dad. He's like, you stay in the car. You're in the, you stay in the car. And he's like, come on. And they're like, I'll never forget their faces. They're, they looked at each other like, this guy's crazy. And he was. And he was getting ready to throw down. He was. And they're all, we're sorry.
1: He's like, yes, you are
0: sorry. Not so many kind words. Get in your car. If you insult me again, I'll kill all four of you. And I'm like, yeah. Man, oh. oh, I love my dad. Right? Felt so safe with him because I knew he would lay down his life in a second. Do you feel that way with the Lord? See, he gives you peace. Why? Because he's with you. It's not some empty promise. Remember what Jesus said <laughs> I'm with you always. I am with you always. Lo, even to the end of the earth. And when he's with us, we hold on to that promise. All of a sudden, as we walk in that promise, when we go through times of trouble, and we will, and we go through times of hardship, and we will, and times where our emotions are just empty and we're distraught, this is when the promise comes alive. He says, my peace I give to you. I've overcome the world. Do you believe it? Then he says this. He says in John 15, These things I have spoken to you, why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He doesn't want us just to exist in life. He wants us to have joy in life. Joy because of what we have in Christ. Joy because of what he's going to give us. Eternal life in the kingdom of God. God with us, right? God forever with us. As as Job said, in the midst of his... In the midst of his pain and his agony, what did he say? I know my Redeemer liveth, and I will see him walk on the earth, and I'll see him with my own eyes. I love that verse. That's where we find this joy that God so wants us to have. And here's the thing. How do we have peace, and how do we have joy in the midst of trials, and in the midst of hardship? How? One, because he's with us. Always. Closer to you than the very air you breathe, he is with you. But here's the thing he says. As as my father, in John 15, 9, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. What does he say then? Abide in my love. And most of us, if we're honest, many of the times, we abide in condemnation. We abide in guilt. We abide in shame. And he's like, why are you still over there? Get over here in my grace. I want you to know how much I love you, but you don't know what what I've done. Yes, I do. I forgive you. Now walk in my forgiveness. That why? That you might have peace and that you might have joy. Do you notice? I mean, pretty much every letter of the New Testament always starts off with that. Right? Peace, grace. Peace. The Father, he says this, Paul says this. Father sends greetings, peace, and grace to you. Why? We need peace. And it's only because of grace. They know it. And I want us to see it, but we have to remain in His love. That means we, we believe that He loves us, but we respond by loving Him. Back to the first commandment, right? Love the Lord thy God, all thy heart, mind, and soul. That's how we remain in His love. We grow in His love as we read the Word. We grow in His love as we pray, and we allow God to love people through us. That's how we grow in love. But first and foremost, we must remain in his love. So what is our response to hopelessness? Let's go back to Rick Warren's 10 things that trigger it. Number one, again, was people feel alone and abandoned. His response was, my loving father will never abandon me. He'll never abandon me. Life seems out of control. God's power is greater than any problem." You don't see a purpose. God fits everything into his plan. Again, it's outside of us. It's bigger than us. You're a grieving loss. Christ has conquered death. Christ has conquered death. You don't have what you need. God has promised to meet all your needs. Now, get needs and wants. Separate those two, right? You might not have everything you want, yeah, I, I don't think you guys are going to get that Bentley underneath the Christmas tree this year, right? Or that Lamborghini or that Porsche, whatever it is. But you have everything you need, right? You've done something so grievous, God can never forgive you. Jesus died to pay for all those things. Deeply wounded by someone, God will wipe away every tear and justice is a coming. Pulled in the wrong direction, God said, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. He leaves the 99 for you. Why? To bring you back into the fold. To bring you back into the fold. Hounded by fear, Jesus in me is greater than any other power. Jesus in me is greater than any power. When when it looks like defeat, your life feels like it's just going to be one big loss, that is not the end of the story. That is not the end of the story. I've learned that about people. I've seen people walk away from the Lord and I'm like, but the story's not over yet. This might be for a first season. This is not over until they breathe their last. And we have hope until they breathe their last. And Alexander McLaren said this, "Peace comes not from the absence of, not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God." God is with you. What are you hoping in? What are you hoping in? Joy inexpressible, full of glory, Peter says, to a church that is being persecuted. We live in a hopeless world, but we are people of hope. We are a voice of hope. We are a life of hope. But we have to live in it. And we have to remain in his love. And again, you might be sitting there, Armando, you don't know. I don't, you're right, I don't know. But God sees, God hears, because He cares. I, I've shared this with you before. My friend's son, my good friend's son, he, he was a heroin addict, his oldest boy, three kids. His, two of his, both of his sons were addicted to heroin. One, I mean, terribly so. And he goes, you know, Armando, I was so mad, but not at him. When he was at his worst, that's when I wanted to be. I wanted him to be right here, right in my arms. I didn't want him to be far away from me. I wanted him to be right with me. And he goes, and I understood that's the father's heart. Because we think, oh, I sinned. Get away. You smell. Get away from me. No, no. God's like, I'm going to hunt you down. Why? Because he's your father. I mean, if you had kids, you had a niece, a nephew, a child, when they were sick and throwing up, where were they usually? In your arms. My niece. I mean, she, never lets me, she never lets me forget this. She's like, come on, remember that time you were holding me? Yes, angel. And I threw up all over your face. Yes, angel, I do. I go, angel, what did I do? She goes, you held me. I said, yes, I did. See, it's not when we think God doesn't want us. That's when he wants us even more. God cares. God is with us. God sees. God hears. And you think that he does not He's going to come to you and he's going to show you, I see you. I see you. I love hope. I love Christmas. Love it. Favorite time of the year. Because God came. Born out of a woman, just like us. Born under the law. Just like us. To save us from the condemnation of the law. To know that we would know beyond a shadow of doubt of his great love. Do you believe it? Let's pray and get ready for communion. Holy Father.